0: Over the last uh, few weeks, we've been talking about easy subjects like uh, adultery, lust, divorce, being honest all the time. Is that honest? Can I be honest all the time? Well, you would have to listen to that sermon to find out about that. But we've been talking about these subjects as Jesus speaks into our hearts through the Sermon on the Mount. 2,000 years ago, and it's still speaking to us. So this morning, he's going to lighten it up a little bit. And he's going to talk to us about turning the other cheek. You know, somebody hits you and you don't turn around and hit them back. You just let them hit you again. That sounds like easy, fun stuff. We'll have to find out what that all is about. Because honestly, most of us are wired that when somebody does something to us, we naturally want to do something back to them. And when we even see it happen, we have a sense of justice and right and wrong in our lives, and when we see somebody else get taken advantage of, usually, you and I want to step in and let that person have it. We recently have had a new sensitivity to the idea of bullying, especially in schools. And that just pushes our buttons when someone has more power, more whatever, and they take advantage and hurt and shame and make fun of somebody else. We just wanna get in there. Uh, have you ever seen or experienced yourselves a situation like this? By the way, it's all this stuff is online if you wanna check it out. Boy, somebody wants to get Ralphie from the Christmas story karate lessons or something. That Farkas, he is just, man, you want to see him get what he's coming. Turn the other cheek? No way. That doesn't sound good to me, doesn't make sense to me, actually seems a little bit wrong. And for those of you are familiar with this story, those of us love what happens next. Yes, Farkas gets it. I know that seemed a little violent on Sunday morning. I actually had to cut some of it out. It's longer than that. He's just letting him have it, but that's because the audiences are going, Yes! Because we all know, we've all maybe experienced a time where there was a Farkas in our life and there was no Ralphie who snapped on him. And you see all the kids watching it, and maybe we would be in the you know, chain link fence there going, yes, this is awesome. He's finally getting his just desserts for being a bully for so long. And so when we think about that, we think about how we live and we navigate in our life, and we think about getting hit, getting burnt down, whatever that form that, that takes in, and, and turning other, the other cheek just is not very satisfying to us. It just does not sit well in our hearts. Uh, uh, you know, pretty skeptical of that to some point, because we've bought into this lie that if you have more power... However that looks, if, if you have, uh, you know, numbers of people, if you have strength, if you have political power, uh, you name it, whatever that is, money, you will have the most influence and you will have control. And so when we look at those situations, we're thankful to how that Ra- Ralphie probably is never going to have another run-in with Farkas again. He's done. He's done. I can remember in second grade, there was this kid who was a year older than me, and and we were roughing it up on the playground, and I got the better hand of him, and I had him immobilized, and I wasn't punching him like that, but I just had him stuck, uh, and he was kind of surprised by that. And uh, I, being naive, I was the oldest. He had older brothers, so the older brothers must have played this on him. He said, let's start over again. So I said, okay, and then he got the best of me, and then the bell rang, and we went inside. But I can still remember after that the fact that he saw that I could kind of push back a little bit. He laid off, never had another word for me again. So we get by into this thing. That's the way to kind of control the situation, to kind of power through it. And what we're going to see is that Jesus says if you really want true influence— if you want an influence that touches somebody else's life, you're not going to have this retaliation. You're not going to have this right back at you mentality. You're not going to function that way. And all along this series, we've been, again, talking about Jesus can make life better and make us better at life. And this is one of those subjects that, again, we can feel a little skeptical about. I may not be all in in this. If someone pushes me hard enough, eventually it's time to push back. And we're going to try to unpack that and see what Jesus actually says and speaks to us about. So we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. You can find that in that little rack Bible, uh, 678. Also, the passages will be up on the screen. Also encourage you, if you don't have a, a Bible, to take that paper Bible or download uh, something like YouVersion app, and you can have that, and you can have the Bible wherever your phone is at, and you can have that with you. So uh, please take advantage of those opportunities. So Matthew 5, 38, page 678, and the verses will be up on the screen. So we begin in verse 38. We read, You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Yuck! I don't like that at all. What is going on with that? That just uh, doesn't make sense. When I, when I think about life and I think about doing things, you know, I, I just want to live my life. And again, if someone, I'm not going to, the first time someone pushes back at me or pushes me, I'm not going to let them have it. But if, if, if they do, oh, after a while, finally, I might snap like Ralphie and uh, might just go crazy. Or maybe I won't. Or maybe I'll, maybe I'll do it in silence. Maybe I'll withhold something from them. Instead of being like uh, active and aggressive, I'll just be passive. But the bottom line is, I'm in a sense giving back for what they gave to me or took from me or, or, or did to me. And so, uh, you know, we live in this tension. What in the world is Jesus Jesus getting at with this? Now, often and very regularly on a weekly basis, you know, sometimes I, I share with you the message translation, and uh, the person who uh, translated that Greek scholar, linguist, Hebrew scholar's name is Eugene Peterson, and uh, I've, I've read a couple of his books. And uh, one, there's there's three books. There's three books in my thinking that uh, I actually read them at a slower rate because I didn't want them to get over. And usually I just push through, I want to finish a book, so it's done. But these three books, uh, first of all, uh, first book would be this book, uh, John Newton, and uh, it's it's short chapters, and I can remember reading it, a lot of pages, but all of a sudden I started to realize I was getting to the end. This is the man who uh, penned the words to Amazing Grace, and uh, just a great story, uh, and uh, I didn't want that to end. Another book uh, is Not Without Peril. This is a very sad book. It's kind of sick that I like this book. But this book is entitled 150 Years, Basically, of Bad Decisions in the White Mountains. So it all starts off with these people hiking, and then they do something unwise, and they're like, dead. So, you know, I'd read a chapter every night, and uh, wow, that's what happened. You know, don't do this, don't do that. That's a book that I slowed down because I didn't want it to end And then there's Eugene Peterson's book, The Pastor, and he goes through and traces his just memoirs of how he became, who he became, and all those kinds of things. This is a picture of him, and a little quote I have there, All the persons of faith I know are sinners, doubters, uneven performers. We are secure, not because we are sure of ourselves, but because we trust that God is sure of him. And I'd encourage you to read some of his stuff. Uh, You know, he's passed away, but uh, really uh, did some really great work. So back to this book, uh, The Pastor. Uh, He tells in this book a story that is very similar to our opening uh, video clip. And I I just thought I'd read a a couple uh, paragraphs from it. And again, it's interesting because this, this idea of retaliation, this idea of pushing back when somebody deserts, it almost seems to be like the way... It almost seems like to be the, the Christian way, the American way. You do that, and then you're going to get this, and it's cause and effect, and that's okay. And uh, he, he, he got stuck on this himself. This is what he writes. I grew up in a Christian home with good parents. I, told the story, I was told the story of Jesus and instructed in the way of Jesus. I was loved and treated well. Childhood, in my memory, was a fair approximation of the Garden of Eden, a good and wonderful life. But there was also the neighborhood. I'd been taught in Sunday school not to fight, and so we never learned to use my fists. I would prepared for the wider world of the neighborhood in school by memorizing, bless those who persecute you, and turn the other cheek. I didn't, don't know how Garrison Johns knew that about me, but some sixth sense that bullies have, I suppose. But he picked on me for his sport. Most afternoons after school, he would catch me and beat me up. He also found out that I was a Christian and taught me, taunted me with Jesus Sissy. I tried to find alternative ways home by making detours through alleys, but he stalked me and always found me. arrived home most afternoons bruised and humiliated. My mother told me that he had always been, that it had always been the way of Christians in the world and that I had better get used to it and I was also supposed to pray for him. And then something unexpected happened. I was with my neighborhood friends on this day, seven or eight of them, when Garrison caught up with us and started in on me, jabbing me and taunting me, working himself up to the main event. He had an audience and that helped. He always did better with an audience. That's when something happened, totally uncalculated, totally out of character, Something snapped within me. I grabbed Garrison. To my surprise, and his, I realized that I was stronger than he was. I wrestled him to the ground, sat on his chest, and pinned his arms to the ground with my knees. I couldn't believe it. He was helpless under me. At my mercy, it was too good to be true. I hit him in the face with my fists. I felt good. I hit him again, blood spurted from his nose. He puts a lovely crimson on the snow. (laughs) By the time all other children were cheering, egging me on, blacken his eyes, bust his teeth. I said to Garrison, say uncle. He wouldn't say it, so I hit him again, more cheering. Now my audience was bringing the best out of me. And then my Christian training reasserted itself. I said to him, I said, say, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. He wouldn't say it. I hit him again. (laughs) Say, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And he said it. Garrison Johns was my first Christian convert. (laughs) Garrison Johns was my introduction into the world. The world that is not my home. He was also my introduction to how effortlessly that same world could get into me, making, me its, making itself perfectly at home under the cover of my Christian language and righteous emotions. You see, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount has a lot to say about the effortless strategies of how the world gets in us. Christ followers do that under the cover of Christian language often and righteous emotions. And we have to watch out for that. So what's the reality? What do we do with all this? How do we navigate through this it's interesting if you study the early church secular historians do not understand how following christ christianity flourished in the environment that it was birthed in they don't understand that they don't understand how christianity gained the influence that it gained they look at it, they see the Roman Empire. They look at that early church with, yes, Jesus being crucified. Many of the disciples were crucified, the, many of those twelve, but general population of Christ followers were killed and tormented. Everything was taken from, and people look at that and go, how in the world did it flourish? How did it gain the influence that it gained? It didn't have money. It didn't have an army. Didn't have anything. Yet somehow it gained influence. It wasn't that when it hit, got hit, it hit back harder. None of that was going on. You see, the reality is that the early church had a love. An extreme love. The greatest love. And that greatest love has the most influence. After... The Roman Empire and under Constantinople uh, turned over to be, quote-unquote, as the religion of the empire, if you would, the faith. Uh, a couple empire, emperors later, I can't remember which one it was, decided that had been a bad move and had wanted to kind of like go back to the old ways. And at the time, there was some kind of plague going on. And you can see these in some letters going back and forth. And so he's trying to get the old Roman gods rejuvenated and Christianity kind of marginalized. And he said, you know, it's really hard to fight something during this plague when our own people, our own religious people in our faith sect, whatever you want to call it, won't go into these plague-stricken areas and help their own people when these Christians, go into these areas and not only help their fellow Christians, but help our folks too. You can't fight that kind of love. You can't fight that kind of influence. So as we look at our world, what do we do with that? We see lots of things going on. Boy, if we just had the majority, if we get all these votes, if we all this kind of stuff, and, and we'll talk about the, the benefits of that and all that. But sometimes or many times, we put our hope In having power, and having resources, rather than living out this greatest love that has the most influence. That is what changed the world when Christianity got going. Again, they had none of those things. But the one thing they had was this love. And it was centered on what Christ did, and how Christ acted. And they mimicked that, they adopted that, they worked that selfless love into their lives. They weren't the center, he was the center of their lives. And as they lived their lives, that was the conduit through which they lived their lives. Even John the Baptist, the one who had gained a lot of influence, gained a lot of power, comes to see Christ, know who Christ is, and this is what he says. He says, this is the assigned moment for him, referring to Jesus, to move into the center while I slip to the sidelines. You very rarely see that in Christian churches where the person's not the center. Jesus is the center, really the center. And so when you and I look at what Jesus says here, we're really seeing that this is a passage more about influence than whether we hit back or don't hit back. If you want to have influence that that changes our little world and the greater world, it's this idea of understanding love. It's this idea of having an allegiance to Jesus that transforms both our attitude and our actions towards people. Changes our attitude and then our actions, our behavior towards people. And Jesus is saying, even though you may have the right to hit back, even though you may have right, if someone slaps you in the cheek, you slap them right right back. He's saying, yeah, but something happens. Sometimes we sing that hymn. He could have called 10,000 angels. When Jesus was on the cross, he could have struck back, could have powerfully struck back. They would not have known what was happening, but he chose not to do that. Last Monday, we celebrated Martha Luther King Jr.'s day, remembering him. And uh, I've got a quote for you, and this is that tension that those of us who are Christ followers, those who have said yes to Jesus, live in. One of the greatest tragedies of life is that men seldom bridge the gulf between profession and practice, between saying and doing. You've heard me a number of times say, I, I realize this in my own life, growing up in a good home like Eugene Peterson did, that I am educated about faith and right living way beyond my level of obedience. That's what Martin Luther King is saying. And that's what Jesus is going to point to, the idea of here's some truth, it's not complex, it's not hard to get your mind around, but it is hard to put feet to it. Now, what is Jesus not saying? Jesus is not saying a few things and we're just going to fly through these. Uh, First of all, Jesus is is not saying that Christ followers have to be a doormat. He's not saying that. He's saying that you and I, need, and we'll, we'll talk about what he is saying, so I'll just leave it at that. He's talking about we do not have to be a doormat. It does not mean that does not mean that. It does not mean that you just get walked all over and that's okay and that's what you're supposed to do. Because if you watch Jesus, if you read the four first books of the New Testament, the Gospels, you will see that Jesus at times draws a strong line. He is a not a doormat. But he also, he also turns the other cheek quite often. It's interesting that he says this and he lives this. He just doesn't say this pie-in-the-sky teaching, but he actually lives that. And next week we'll talk a little bit more about it. And next week we have communion, and you can see that he lived it, died it, and rose again it. You don't have to be a doormat. This also means that we don't have to be political pacifists, not involved. You have to ask yourself where your trust is. Do you trust in the political system more than you trust in the God that works in your life? Is that political system your savior, your hope, or is Jesus? But again, this doesn't mean that you pull back and just stick your head in the sand. I told you this before, but I try to watch both extremes of news. I watch the super conservative news and what people would say is liberal. And I watch and I see that it's like they live on different planets. And neither of them are 100%. So you've got to take that with a grain of salt. But I think you need to be an educated Christ follower. You need to know what is going on in our world. And so this means that Christ followers, Jesus is not saying we just ignore what's going on around us. He's also not saying that we resist evil. He's not saying do not resist evil. When there is evil, we need to stand against it. Aren't we thankful that for the most part we have a military service that stands against evil around the world? Aren't we thankful that when we see some of these disasters take place, we see aircraft carriers or whatever off the coast bringing in help, stopping things. Are they perfect? Absolutely not. No one's perfect, but it doesn't mean we resist evil. There are Christ followers in our traditions and all that that say you you just you just you you are a doormat. You don't do those kinds of things. But I'm going to say Jesus is not saying that. He's not saying don't resist evil. I'm so thankful for our law enforcement. They resist evil. I'm so happy that uh, when I was growing up, I had neighbors. When Dave Spencer was getting into mischief. They helped resist evil. <laughs> they would see me doing something. Hey, Bill, did you know David was doing this? Oh, no, I didn't. Thank you very much. Click. It wasn't like, what are you telling me about my kid? No, they were happy to hear about that. Worst thing, I'd rather be in trouble with my parents all day than have them hear from somebody else, like a teacher or something. So the idea is Jesus is not saying, do not resist evil. So what is he saying? What is he telling us as Christ followers to do? First of all, he's saying, "Live the law of limited retaliation." What's, how do I? How do you get that? this whole idea from Matthew 5, 38. It says, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. This doesn't mean automatic. If someone hurts your eye, then you hurt their eye. If someone knocks your tooth out, you knock their tooth. But he's saying, if you look in the Old Testament, this is a limited retaliation. Don't retaliate at a level higher than it was, uh, happened to you. So don't, you know, if someone knocks one tooth out, you know, you don't, you don't, they don't, you know, you don't knock all their teeth out. It's the, 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 the um, crime, the punishment needs to fit the crime. And so he's saying, before you just let them have it, because isn't that what we usually like to do? If someone hits us, we like to really get their attention. That's sometimes the problem, especially I learned in high school and early college about playing uh, practical jokes on people. What happens? You play a practical joke on someone, then they want it, and it just gets out of control until somebody gets hurt, goes home crying, you know. Uh, you know, that's, that's what happens, right? Um, so Jesus is saying, live the law of limited retaliation. Don't, don't, don't hold back, stop, think about it. Think about what's going to happen. Think about influence, think about love, understand that, It's just not about punishing someone and hurting someone because they hurt you or hurt somebody else. It's about change. Paul writes this, he says, do not insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it. First little principle there is put your trust in God. God will make things right. Maybe next week, maybe next month, or maybe in eternity. But you and I, have to trust that. We're not in the judging, retaliation, getting even business if we're a Christ follower. We need to say, God, you take care of that. You, and you, you do that. Our scripture tells us that if you see your enemy hungry, go buy that person lunch. Or if he's thirsty, get him a drink. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness. Don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. That's tough. That's hard. Again, that's not enabling. That's not being a doormat. But how many times do I let the evil get the best of Because I just push back, even at the same level, even maybe just a little bit harder. I make them pay. And it, again, it isn't always an act of making them pay. Sometimes it's passive. Sometimes I withhold something from them. I withhold good. I withhold blessing. I remember especially when I could say this because that was a lot of years ago. When I was a youth pastor, I can remember the kid that would drive me nuts and the kid that I liked. The kid that I drove me nuts, I all of a sudden one day realized I would withhold from him. I wasn't letting him have it, but if he wanted something, oh no, 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 we can't do that. But then the other kid that I really liked, and there were reasons why I liked him, he was easygoing. That kid, if he said, yeah, oh, we need, and I go, yeah, we could give that a try. I realized I was playing favorites. Don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. You got a choice. We have a choice. You can either get influence, or you can, you either can get even or you can have influence. Not always, all every time. This is, not, this is just a made-up figure. But just imagine if one out of ten times, because you don't get even, you get influence in somebody's life. Is that worth it? I think it is. I know sometimes we're being gracious to somebody, especially who is wound up, and being gracious to somebody and not getting even. Even when I had the power, even when I had the, the nice little turn of phrase, I could have put them in place, and I, and I don't do that, and I'm gracious to them. I remember occasionally, uh, this, this doesn't really happen anymore. It doesn't happen here, which is nice. Now it's going to happen. No, just kidding. But, uh, you know, getting these anonymous notes or sometimes non-anonymous notes that were just, you know, just kind of stick the knife in and twist it a little bit and they weren't totally accurate. Sometimes they were, but, but most of the time they weren't accurate. They didn't know another piece of information and I could put them in their place so easily, but I'd lose influence. You see, you can either get even. Or he can have influence. Refuse to allow the way you're treated to determine the way you respond. Refuse it to allow the way you're treated to determine the way you respond. I couldn't find the passage. I, you know, I try to read through the Old Testament every year, and I was reading through the through, and there's this one place where. Uh, God is talking about, you know, it must be the minor prophets, talking where where he's just, you know, the people are just not behaving well. And he, and he says this way of, I don't respond as you deserve. I don't respond out of emotion. I just respond out of who I am. As a Christ follower, you and I are to respond out of who we are. Refuse to allow the way you're treated to determine the way you're you response. So what is Jesus saying? Uh, Jesus is saying Christ followers will accept being demeaned, but not abused. It's, it's a part of the deal. You're going to be demeaned every once in a while for doing the right thing, for following Christ. Now, if you're demeaned for doing the wrong thing, kind of deserved it. I kind of deserved it. But if it's really because you're, you're following Christ, that, that's going to happen. So you just need to kind of accept that. It's not about setting that record right all the time. If you get into that fighting, you'll, you'll, just, you'll just never get out of it, and you'll lose the opportunity to influence. But to be abused, no, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about abuse. And now some places in our world, we'll watch the news, we see that they, they can't get out of it. But if you're in a situation where you're being demeaned, that kind of comes with the, 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 the deal a little bit. But abuse doesn't. If you have the power, the means to get out of that kind of a thing, you are to get out of it. Jesus is not saying just take that. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And there's also some imagery going on here. If you get slapped on the right cheek, the person usually is using their left hand. So if they're using the left hand, in Jesus' culture, that was the unclean hand. That was the clean you, the hand you wipe with. So it was yucky, you know. So, so, so to be, so that that was a, that was an offense. And so, so this idea of of when someone uh, demeans you, you know, d- don't don't let that situation control you. Turn the other cheek. Don't get all right up because you're going to lose your ability to influence. Again, do not be a doormat. You have to be an engaged, walking with God, listening to the Holy Spirit in your life to know where these lines are. I can't make a matrix up or do this, do this, do this, do this, and just it's all automatic and here, You know, I can't do that. You've got to be walking with God. God wants to walk through these moments with you. So we accept being demeaned, but not abuse. We also get to the place where we value impact over comfort, impact over comfort. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. What? What? This is the idea of being uncomfortable. actually uh, Coat was your exterior, it was your sleeping bag. This is this is um really for someone who has limited financial resources. This is person's in this situation, and your shirt was your undergarment. That was your last thing. So, in a sense, if if they take your shirt and they take your coat, you're naked. Woo! That's where you are. So he is saying, when you want to impact another person's life, you value that over comfort. see it's happening all the time in different forms. Not just to lift up the, some of our difference makers around the world and locally, but, but they, they, they value impact over comfort. You, many of you, value impact over comfort. The way you're generous with your time, you're generous with your resources, you're saying, yes, I could have a little more comfort, but I value impact more So I'm going to do that a couple weeks. Groups go into um, Honduras for one week, two weeks. Some of them are taking their vacations to go. Unbelievable. It is warmer down there, but still unbelievable. See, they, they value input or impact over comfort. And we don't have to just go on other places in the world. We can do it on a daily basis. The way you respond to the cashier when they just don't have their act together and it's taken them forever. Or it's the person in front of you that is trying to figure things out and you're trying to find the fastest line and you're just stuck there and you're getting irritated and you have a right to be irritated and you know, there's only one open and you know, on and on and on. Valuing impact over comfort. Uh, Jesus is also saying an understanding of limitations over freedom. He's saying that we limit ourselves. We don't exercise all the freedoms that at our fingertips. And as Americans, we forget this. We have so many freedoms. Jesus is talking here about if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. This is what would happen when the Romans were there. If the Romans were marching through and they had a big load and they just saw you sitting by the side of the road, they could, in a sense, say, hey, you, carry my load. And they had, by law, you had to carry it a mile, no more or no less. And so the minute that would happen, you had something to do. The load is heavy, miles a long time. You don't want to do it. You have to do it. And Jesus is say, don't only go another mile. Go the extra mile. That's where we get that expression from all these years later. Limitations over freedom. We limit ourselves. We give up some of our freedom but we value influence, we value input, we impact. We want to express that greatest love. Jesus is saying, understand use of possessions to make a difference. We talk about making a difference. That's our influence. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. The idea of using our stuff when we have it in our power to take care of somebody's need. And again, how do you determine that? Because there are more needs than you have resources, than I have resources. But you're in sync with God, and he lets you know. And each one of us who have said yes to Jesus have those moments where we know it's our time to give and not turn away. Or we come up with excuses. It's our choice, so we, we wrestle with that. But Jesus is saying, Christ falls, understand the use of possessions. Talked a little bit about that with stewardship, to make a difference. Bottom line is this. When life is not about an eye for an eye, and all that goes along with that, but an eye for another eye for another person, great influence happens. And next week we're going to see how Jesus and you know this, lived this out. It wasn't about an eye-and-eye for him. It was himself for another, for us. And great influence happens. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for your son. We're thankful for the way his words speak to us 2,000 years later. Uh, I'm reading through these passages, thinking about this, and my toes are getting stepped on all over the place. Lord, I pray that uh, we wouldn't be those kinds of folks that uh, know but don't do, possess but don't act, like Martin Luther King said, say but don't do. Help us to be people that are growing and changing. And Lord, I ask if there's anyone here this morning that has not had the opportunity or taken the opportunity to say yes to you, that even in their seat right now, they would say, God, I want you in my life. Lord, come into my life. Thank you for forgiveness of sin. Thank you for giving yourself for me. Thank you that you rose again, showing your power over all. I want to place my trust in you and follow you. And I ask that today would be the first day they start on that path. And for the rest of us, I pray that we would not grow tired and weary in well-doing. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If that's a...